0: So if somehow our culture was preserved, and a thousand years from now, archaeologists came and dug into into our goods and saw that we have these pictures of Santa Claus, we have little statues of Santa Claus, we have huge statues of Santa Claus, how many do you think would think that Santa Claus is an idol of 21st century America? But more importantly, what does God think about it? Does God just think that it's a harmless pastime, or does God say it's idolatry? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Seitz. I'm Charles Churchill.
1: And I'm Joshua Horn.
0: As a culture, we don't think about idolatry very much. But that doesn't mean idolatry isn't around us. And one of the things that we see in our culture is there's a lot of use of Santa Claus. And people think it's a harmless game, that it's just some story that you tell children, and that it's not, like, actually leading to things that God says are clearly evil. And tonight, what we want to talk about, Is this just harmless or is it really damaging in certain ways to have this fixation as a culture on Santa Claus?
2: So I think it is harmful. And I think the reason for that is because you're starting off fundamentally with a lie. I mean, one of the things that from a child's perspective when they hear about this is you're telling them that we should make a distinction. We're talking specifically about Santa Claus, the figure who can bring gifts to all the children of the world at night, who has flying reindeer and who can accomplish supernatural feats not if you tell your kids that there was a saint in the, in the past. That there was a Saint tr- Nicholas. And there's that's a tradition okay. even of giving gifts. That's, that's a different thing. But if we're talking about the figure of Santa that has these supernatural abilities, when you tell children this, you're telling them that God gave him this power to do this. And you're starting off with fundamentally just a lie about what God has done in the world. And it's one of these things that it affects children fundamentally because children take what you say and they believe you. And they say, God made this creature, God made this being, he gave him this power, and God is good, and so I should expect that what he does is good, and this is a representation of God's goodness in the world. And they take that and they, it's theology. It's theology and you've started off by infusing and teaching them a theological concept that is a lie. And it's incredibly harmful, just flat out. And I think there are people who will turn off right here because they've already said it's not a lie. I'm not really lying, but it is, and you know it's a lie. And I think that's really that's just a really important place to start. Is you can't lie and expect it to result in something good coming from it. And
1: and we are, you know, we had another episode that's dealing with a more reasonable question about lying. You know, can you lie to the Nazis? I mean, that at least has some, you know, you know, a life is on the line. But here, it's you know. A little bit of joy is on the line, perhaps, if you can't make your children happy without lying to them. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, there's not a whole lot of justification. The world for that it.
2: God made isn't good enough, so we have to add this alternative reality into it.
0: And I think people don't, you know, one of the things that I've said many times is that children's Bibles are actually a way to cause your children not to come to faith. You draw Jesus Christ so he looks like Mickey Mouse. And nobody, and you're telling your children, oh, don't believe in Mickey Mouse, but believe in Jesus Christ. You basically made it a lot harder for them to believe the gospel. And Santa Claus is exactly the same way. If you lie to them about Santa Claus and then you tell them about Christ, why would they believe you? They would just say, yeah, there's a guy who flies around with reindeers and there's a guy who, who flew through the clouds to heaven. They're on the same category. You've lowered Jesus Christ to be a lie like Santa Claus. And you've made it so that you can't preach the gospel to your children in a credible way because they know you're a liar.
1: And thankfully, a lot of children do believe even after being taught Santa Claus, but it doesn't mean that it's a, a good idea to do that.
0: And it really undermines, it undermines your relationship, not just in being able to preach about Christ, but it undermines your relationship in a lot of other ways. It's a way to make it so that your children don't trust you. And instead of parents should be looking to establish ways so that their children trust them because their children are going to have problems in this life. And what you don't want to do is undermine that relationship just so that you can, you know, have gifts that don't come from you.
3: And it's it's not just a lie that you're telling within your own household. It's you're participating in this much bigger cultural lie. And this is, I mean, that's just a form of worldliness. scripture warns against. And
1: not only are you participating in uh, the cultural lie, you're also often asking your children to participate in the lie as soon as they found out that you were lying to them. Because the first thing that you hear when, oh, actually, yeah, you're right, Santa's not real. But don't tell anyone. Because Don't don't tell your little brother. Exactly. Right.
2: Right. And you're wondering what other, in the future, what other things will you be brought in on that also weren't true that you've been told that you'll then be expected to carry and hold and teach, uh, you know, and and teach those behind you because it's necessary for some sort of preservation of some aspects of culture.
0: And frequently people from Christians homes, they go to colleges. And that's exactly what the professors are saying. I'm going to tell you a secret that church that you grew up in. It's all a lie. And you see so many children fall away at college or at high school because they hear that and they go, yeah. People lie about these things, so I shouldn't be surprised. This is how the world works, because they've been taught that's how the world works.
2: Right. The world is a darker place than you thought it was, and you've been led into it inch by inch as you get older. This is what it means to be an adult, to understand the hard truth.
0: And I mean, Proverbs twelve twenty two says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. It is not pleasing to God when you lie to your children. It doesn't say lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, unless you're doing it with this little Santa Claus game to, to fool them that the gifts didn't come from you. Then they're not an abomination. No, they're an abomination. They're an abomination all the time. And those who God is pleased with is those who walk in the truth.
2: I mean, one thing i said before was that you're teaching your children theology. And I really want to push on that because there's this part of it where, I mean, my mother grew up as a very, very poor woman in, in, in Virginia. And she didn't get gifts. There were years where she got no presents. And she was told about Santa Claus. There were people who talked about it. And when she went to school, there were kids at school who did get presents. And she knew they were kids who were rich. And she knew, and and she was told that you got presents that he gave them to you if you were naughty or you were nice. And she knew the difference between her and those girls. She knew she was nicer than those girls. And she basically said, she would cry at night and ask herself, why doesn't God give poor kids presence why is it bad to be poor and and there's this part of it where I mean she took it seriously I mean she takes it as serious as seriously as you do when you read your Bible and you see a passage in Scripture and you say I need to apply this to my life if you believe that Scripture is true you say this is real when the Bible says that there are people who sleep and are sick you know sick or, or die because of taking communion improperly you go that's true and that is something that's moral in the world She believed this was a moral principle about God, and she asked herself, why is this? And the answer isn't, you should feel bad for my mom. The answer is, is if God was that way, it wouldn't be wrong for that to be true. But God's not that way. He doesn't show partiality in this way. Why would you teach your children he does? Because gifts at Christmas, they are given out partially. They are given out in this way, and they don't come from God. They don't come directly from his hand or from his agent who he's put into the world.
0: And that's, yeah, that's why it's so significant is because God has ordered the world that some people have more and some people have less. And so if it's coming from their parents, everybody goes, oh, that makes sense. Right. That God has put people in different places, but all of a sudden you put it into a moral agency by saying that it's naughty or nice. And all of a sudden you're you're putting judgment in there and you're putting that, that, God, I mean, it it changes how you look at it. And as you're describing that, I mean, it reminds me of the Pharisees and the time of Christ where Jesus says to his disciples, a rich man can't enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And their response is kind of like the same as the theology that was being taught to your mother is, well, then nobody can come in if the rich can't. Right. Because they're looking and saying that, The blessings that you receive, the material blessings that you receive, are based on righteousness. And so that's the same theology. So you've taught, by teaching the things that Santa Claus is, the theology that you're teaching is the theology of ancient Israel, the theology of the Pharisees.
2: The theology of America first. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's very simple. Right, we're the
0: holy righteous people because we're the richest people.
2: Right, and it's really easy to believe that.
0: So some of the people listening are probably going, really, come on, he's not a god. He's not a god figure. But I think it is worth considering the lyrics to one of the popular songs about Santa Claus, which is Santa Claus is coming to town. You you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. So he's the judge of the world. Santa Claus is coming to town. He knows when you're sleeping. This is pretty creepy that you're telling kids this, right? That there's some being out there that knows when you're. Yeah, excuse me. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. And so he, the story is that he's in every household in the night, so there's a picture of omnipresence. He's good. uh, He determines if you're good or bad. He determines if you're naughty or nice. He sees you. There's omnipresence. I mean, excuse me, omnipresence, omniscience. I mean, and then he's able to give gifts in every house on the same day. I mean, so there's a picture of omnipotence. I mean, these are the characteristics of God that are assigned to Santa Claus. And we can pretend like, oh, this is just this game. But remember, it's children that are hearing this. And children aren't able to discern that this is just a game. They think it's real. And when it's real and you're painting him to be a godlike figure... What do you expect except idolatry? That's how you produce an idolater. Right.
2: I mean, let's be honest. If you're a kid, you get to eight years old, and you believe in Santa, by the time you're eight, Santa Claus has done more for you that you care about than anyone else in your life. I mean, you know what I mean? The things right. that you... The, the
0: fact that your parents fed you every day doesn't really count because who because cares? Kid, those right. aren't the I mean, toys. Right.
2: I mean, right. The things that kids, that you actually care about as a kid, the person who has done those things for you is Santa Claus. The biggest things in your life have been because, I mean, it's 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 really hard as a kid not to be a materialist, and you know what I mean? is, is that When it says be good for goodness sake, everybody knew it wasn't for goodness sake you were being good. <laughs> <laughs> and the song knew, you know. The song knew it just threw in goodness sake because that made the line scan. It wasn't going right. to say for present's sake, you know. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's every kid knows what they're being good for, and every parent knows what they're using the threat of Santa seeing you and knowing whether you've been bad or good. They know what they're using Santa for, which is another which is another historical use of idolatry, is to control people.
1: Right, and you know this is part of a. Santa Claus is not a unique figure this type of uh this this you know boogeyman type thing that you know could bring you something bad or could bring you something good. I mean there's a lot of other examples in folklore of this same type of thing because it's a convenient thing to make up this godlike figure to scare or uh reward your children with and to say oh you better not be bad or the the guy's going to come and take you away or You know, there's I think there's some countries where that is even part of their Santa Claus stories. He's going to take you if you're bad. But, you know, whether, you know, however harsh or however gentle your your stories might be, it's it's something that that parents from ages past have made up to lie to their children and say, here's a God that will punish you if you're bad and reward you if you're good.
0: And the reality is it is kind of a Christianized version, right? Is almost all of those stories before are there's going to be somebody that eats you or that kidnaps you or tortures you. Or, you know, you look at Han- Hansel and Gretel and these stories. I mean, they're pretty horrific because most of them use fear. And that was traditional to come up with the boogeyman to this thing that's out there that you can't understand that has supernatural powers that you should be terrified of. And so... Santa Claus is kind of a Christianized version of that, right? It's not that he's going to eat you. He's going to give you a gift or he's going to give you coal. I mean, he's in, but it doesn't make it any better. It might make it a lot less effectual, actually, to constrain your behavior. But it doesn't make it any better because you're lying about somebody that's going to be good to you rather than evil to your children.
3: The story that you were telling about your mother, she was viewing Santa Claus, I think, as, as this agent of God. right? But really it doesn't work that way. I mean, if you know, you take silly lyrics like to a song like this, and it's not this kind of a Santa isn't an agent of God. This kind of Santa is a substitute God. This is a competitor right. for God. Right. And that's really problematic. And if, you've, if you have small children that hopefully you're trying to train up in the things of the faith, and then you stick this thing up there, I mean, you could understand if they would be confused that oh you're telling me God is the one who knows all things and God is the one who judges things and God is the source of love and goodness. And, and, but this one little time of the year, it's actually Santa right. who is those things, who fills all those roles. And Santa's the one that I have to worry about and Santa's the one that I have to please. And, and you know your children are very impressionable at those ages. I mean,
2: it reminds me a great deal of in the story you know, where the children of Israel, Moses goes up on the mountain. They see, they see the thunder. They hear the voice. They see the lightning. they told if any animal comes near, it has to be killed. And Moses is up there, and they're terrified of, God, of the God on the mountain. And Aaron goes, and he makes a calf out of gold and says, this is the God that brought you out of, out of Egypt. Because this God, he's not scary. This is a calf. You don't have to be afraid of him. You can come near him and worship. In fact, you can eat and drink and rise up and dance and play and be naked and, and be and you don't have to worry about this God. And that's you're saying it's a it's a Christianized, cleaned up version of Santa. It's a it's a it's a God that doesn't have any complexities. Because the worst thing he can do is maybe withhold a toy from you. He's not gonna you're not gonna stand before him and he's gonna judge you and potentially cast you into hell. And so it's it's classic idolatry.
3: I mean, you've got, you have so many different kinds of idolatry out there because we're really good at making up idols, and you've got idols that are really big, top shelf, you know, in, in the Old Testament, somebody like Baal, you know, that really is a—but then you have, throughout all of, all of history and, and pretty much anywhere geographically, most people who are polytheistic have a whole bunch of little gods, and you would come up with a little god for anything— You'd have your God for your kneading bowl and your God for the hearth and the God of the river and the God of the mountain. And, you know, and, and this God was something that you could use to explain or to motivate or to, to cause, you know, you, this God was just something that was there that helped you get a handle on whatever that particular thing was. It was somebody that you could pray to when your bread wasn't rising just Right. And it was this guy who had this really limited little scope. And and we basically, you know, whether or not we're willing to admit that, whether or not any of us are willing to call Santa a god that way, we functionally use him that way in December every single year. He's the god of early winter for America. And I think you know one
2: of the real sins we commit, in a sense, is when we think about the past, is we think we're fundamentally different from our ancestors. We think that we process things differently. Like you're talking about the—you know, there were leaders who would, who would use the gods to control people. They didn't believe in those gods. They believed in other things, but they would use these gods to, to control them. But then at the same time, when you're down on your luck, why not go by the temple and pay a little bit of money? It's a god of convenience. Maybe— you know hey it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt to hedge your bets it doesn't hurt to you know to do this to give the priest a bottle of you know a bottle of wine to I mean just in the end and there are people who when they're down and when they're sad they like thinking about the idea of Santa Claus they like thinking about it because it cheers them up and they don't believe in Santa Claus but do you really believe your ancestors idolatry was any differently they didn't believe with all their heart that the god of the hearth was real but what does it hurt to cast off a prayer,
3: and maybe your bread will rise? I'm sure there were some Romans who believed in the whole Roman pantheon, but you know that there were others, and they've written about this, that they know that they're all fictions, and they're just this useful public convenience. Right.
1: You know, and even you know, to bring this a little more to Santa Claus, like, uh, I was looking a little bit into the history of it and uh, was reminded about how uh, Martin Luther— well, obviously, he's against the saints that the Roman Catholics have put in place, and this is uh, part of his thing because he was really pro Christmas, and so he says we should stop celebrating Saint Nicholas's Day in early December, and if let's have our celebration for for Christ Day, because at that point he was sa- saying we're making the the Catholic Church has made historical figures into gods because they did the same thing. To replace the polytheism of traditional religions, they had a saint for your ships and a saint for your this and a saint for that and a saint to bring you presents in December. And so he said, let's forget about St. Nicholas and instead focus on Christ. And now St. Nicholas has followed uh, the the celebration and he is showing up on the day that Luther said should be about Christ.
3: Which is a shame because that figure... The, the Bishop Nicholas was I mean he's a pretty cool dude as far as we're concerned it, we think he attended the Council of Nicaea and the the story is that he slapped the heretic Arius while he was there you know we're all in favor of that kind of, of <laughs> right. figure you know but, but not, not to be prayed to not, be not prayed to, right? <laughs> not to which pray is, to him right. which is
0: in, you know again like Luther was talking about all these different saints that were just like any of uh, the pagan groups before them that you had a saint for every single thing And then kind of they all get wiped out with Reformed theology except St. Nick and St. Nicholas now gets exalted that he's like huge compared to that he's controlling everything in a real sense. I agree it's during a certain season of the year, but he's a lot more powerful than most of those other gods were the rest of the time where they had their narrow niche. He's like over the whole world. I mean, he's a lot broader. We've made him greater than a lot of those other saints that were the Roman Catholic saints.
2: If the real Nick was here, he might slap you (laughs) if he heard what you were telling your children about Santa Claus. (laughs) I was going to say, he won't slap
0: me. (laughs) Not you, (laughs) right. I mean, I think one thing that you hear a lot when I've I've said this to people before and they get upset with me, surprisingly. (laughs) And what I hear a lot is, "Ah, it's just harmless fun. It's not that big of a deal. So how how should we answer that question, that this
2: isn't just harmless fun? We talked earlier about how it undermines the credibility of parents. But, I mean, let's just really underscore this by, by going to Scripture. Psalm 120, verses 2 through 4. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. I think there's a part of it where we we live in a culture that's so inundated with lies that's so inundated with falsehood with fiction with everything with all these little made-up things and so we don't think they're very harmful and i think you know i remember we talked in an episode about pornography and i talked about how right now for me pornography if i see something it's not if i see a woman you know wearing lingerie in the store it doesn't shock me it doesn't harm me to my core because I'm kind of I'm a little bit more numb to it I'm mature I've grown up I've seen things but I remember when I saw something very mild as a very young boy how much it impacted me and I think lies are like this is we've grown up we've been inundated by lies we've been we've seen them and we think they don't affect our children we think they don't impact them and the truth is is we should not be the first ones to lie to them We should not be the ones who start that progress of them being inured to lies and having to learn that this is the way of the world. Parents should not involve themselves with that. And it's one of the harmful things that we do. And I think we just, we sell it way too short. We make it as if it's not that big of a deal. And we don't even know what it's like to live in a world where you're not lied to.
0: And when you think about it, I mean, say a five-year-old, right? A five-year-old that's being told about Santa Claus they're dependent upon their parents for everything this is where all their trust has to be because the reality is god has designed the world so that you have the picture of god the father and the church in the home and that five-year-old that's the only picture they see right and so this is this is where they get their food this is where they're told to go to bed this is where they get their law from this is where they get everything from And when you tell that five-year-old and that five-year-old finds out that you're lying to him, that's not just like this minor shift. This is, I've been, everything is riding on this that I have. Everything in my life is riding on my parents. And now I find they lie to me. That's not like some minor thing that's just like, oh, isn't that funny? That's like you've just undermined their confidence in the world. You've undermined their confidence of where they are and their position in the world. Because if you lied to them about that, what else have you lied to them about? And it just causes a great deal of damage between a, a parent and a child, because as the father is the picture of, of Christ in the home, all of a sudden if he's lying to me, doesn't Christ lie too?
3: Not only does it undermine your credibility with your, your children for them just to, believe what you're saying but you're teaching them to lie you're teaching them that lying is an acceptable way to to live in the world and to get what you want in in close personal relationships about important things and
0: you also teach that there's two laws because the child when he lies to the parents guess what happens he gets spanked the parent then turns around and lies to the child and it's a fun and game I mean, all of a sudden, you're creating this, this diversity of, of what's just and what's fair and what's right. Then, how's a child supposed to figure that out? All it looks like is extreme bias, because that's what it is. I've decided that this lie's okay, but you lie to me, you're in trouble.
2: I spent some time today reading Reddit. You know, I looked up on Reddit several threads, of, and there's a lot of them. When did you find out about Santa Claus? And you shouldn't, you shouldn't do anything for anecdotal reasons. I mean, because of anecdote, you know. But hey, if you read through those threads, it's not an uncommon theme to see people going. I found out, and some of them found out a lot later than you would think they would have found out. That when <laughs> I mean, just, some
0: of those I read, and it's like you got to be kidding me. I right. think like I found out when I was five.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, but some of them were, you know, I mean, eight, ten. One kid said he was sixteen when he found out, which is just almost mind-boggling. But some of these people are all over the world in different places, and so there's, you know,
0: but more conspiracy it, to keep it, the it, idol alive.
2: Right. It wasn't un- but it wasn't uncommon to see people going my belief in God only lasted a few years longer than that you know it was I asked my parents so this isn't true so the toothbrush and then I go oh God's wrong. And they go, oh no no God is real and they kind of right. went you know yeah right you know like and, and so this, this is a real thing and even though I would I'll agree with you that these people are they are remembering the way they believed in a sense of because it solidifies their view of the world but this was a component and it, it did not assure it did not help them at all to see those things. It harmed them greatly.
1: And maybe you can sit back and say, well, you know, this happened to me, and, you know, I still believe in God. But but why would you do that? I mean, it's like you're shooting yourself in the foot. Maybe maybe it's not going to injure you. Maybe you're going to miss. But you're you're pointing the gun at your foot or your child's foot, and you're pulling the trigger. Why are you expecting good things are going to happen from it, even right. though right. it possibly you, could happen?
0: You can't have an expectation that good things are going to come out of sin and lying lips are an abomination. It's sin. And you think that these things Good things are going to be produced in your child's life that will be happier, that he'll—whatever you think, you're the reason that you're doing it. Sin just causes destruction. It doesn't cause
2: blessing. I mean, and I, I would even say this. My guess is there are people who their view of how seriously you take Scripture, even if they continue to believe in God, was impacted by this. Because there's a part of it where one of the core things, one of the biggest things in Scripture, and one of the biggest things in American culture is the idea that Scripture should not be taken literally, that Scripture does not apply to every aspect of your life. And there's this part of it where as soon as you find out that there's this core thing that changed about the world, you start to step back and you start to hedge your bets in your heart. And so, I mean, in a sense, I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not trying to, to formalize some view that Santa Claus has caused liberalism in American Christianity. But I, but I do think the liberalism
0: that— Liberalism in American Christianity has caused Santa Claus. I right, will say right, that. Those, right. You've got a backwards throw. I,
2: right, I but I, mean, I do think those things—I do think they feed off of each other. And I do think there are probably people who they immediately withdrew and said, how far do I take anything as being true? How far do I actually push it? Sure, God's real, but how real is he? because that's actually a really big part of Christianity is how real is God does he just fit in this tiny little area or is he the god of everything and Santa Claus really does strike at that because you've you've told people a cor- you know that god is fundamentally different than they said he was
3: is the gospel of mark a true story or is it a heartwarming story like twas the night before christmas right and which parts of it
2: Maybe part of maybe it's maybe there's pieces of it that are true maybe there's ideas of it because that's how your p- people try to salvage it is it's based on these true things and so then you hold scripture in the same way you hold the things of God in the same way they're based loosely on it you know they're adapted and, from a real story
0: in this idea of of Santa Claus as we think of him he's not that old I mean Luther's talking about Saint Nicholas and the holiday for Saint Nicholas but they weren't they didn't have Santa Claus like we do. Santa Claus like we do is is 120 150 years old. Maybe I mean the red suit was an advertising campaign by Coca Cola. Is why he wears a red and white suit to match the Coca Cola colors. I mean,
2: I think the poem in uh, the for the Night Before Christmas" has yeah you know, had commonly was seen as certain. You know, I mean, but people interpreted it in different ways. It wasn't, I don't believe, completely explicit, and it definitely wasn't explicit to the level of where it became standardized.
0: Right. And now it's become very standardized in those colors and certain things. So so as Christianity in America has declined and the theology in America has in cl- declined, the the importance of Santa Claus as a figure has greatly increased. I mean, yes, there's been Father Christmas and those things around for a long time, but Santa Claus, as we think of him— is really a phenomenon that really takes off after World War II and really grows after there's prosperity in the US and and things like that is where you see the huge rise of it throughout the world. So we shouldn't think that this is this is an idol that this has been that way for a long time. Not right. really. This is this is an American idol. Another verse that that Parents saying this doesn't think they're working destruction, but Psalm 52, 2 and 3 says, your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. When we think about this, even that parent who's going out there, they're speaking, they're working deceitfully. They're, they're manipulating. They're putting out cookies. They're putting out the the, the, yeah, the glass of milk. They're doing these things to work deceitfully, and they go, oh, no, I'm not devising destruction. But the reality is you can't work deceitfully and not devise destruction. The two connect together. And even though God does save people that have been lied to by their parents and stuff, the parents are still doing things that are very destructive.
2: I mean, one of the other things it does is because it's a simplification of God, and it's a simplification of goodness. It's, It's naughty and nice. So it takes morality and it, and it reduces it down to this, to this simple thing. Whereas scripture says instead about, about the way God judges in Matthew 7, 12-14, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. So, I mean, in, in Scripture, there's not a naughty and nice list. Everyone's on the naughty list. Everyone is born on the naughty list, and you don't get on the nice list by being nice and by your own works. And so, there's this part of it where it it destroys the sense of, of, of right and wrong that God has established. It destroys our relationship with the law. It destroys what our works can do, and it, it sets up, you know, so it's, again, it's just, it's bad theology all the way down. And Children take this seriously. They should take this seriously. You're their parents. They should believe the words you say. And you're telling them different things than the Bible teaches. You're telling them things about belief. You're telling them things about what belief can do. I mean, if you look at modern movies, you know, Santa's powered by the belief of people. You know what I mean? I mean and and these things That's an
0: old pagan belief, right? right that as and, long as people believe in you and repeat your name, then you continue to exist. I mean right. this is a standard pagan and, and, type but, belief. And these
2: but these ideas, they persist. And and people start to use them. They're the lever words the way we they're the tools of thought. And so we take these ideas, we bring them into our head, and then we try to apply them to the rest of the world and we try to make sense of it. And you're giving them false views of God and righteousness and goodness. And it's worth
3: saying really plainly that it's it, the, the exact theology that's being promoted with Santa Claus is workspace righteousness. Right. And that's a really easy theology to understand. It's a really easy theology to try to adhere to, and it's very destructive.
1: And it's also a flavor of workspace righteousness that is incredibly easy, because although there is the threat that you're going to get coal for Christmas, that— basically never happens right you you can be really bad and you know unless you really tick your parents off they're going to give you the presents they already bought for you so you are being told it's workspace righteousness and you find out it's really hard to fall on the bad side of the workspace righteousness
0: right so what what they've taken or what as a people as a culture we've taken is a god who says there are few who find it and he, we flipped it on its head and said almost everybody finds the way to righteousness. Almost everybody does it. There's very few that don't do it. In that instead of it's his work, we've changed it so that it's it's your work. I mean, we've flipped the gospel on the head with Santa Claus, just totally opposite of what it is. We've made the wide way the narrow way. Many find the way to righteousness. And it's just a lie that is so destructive to your children because all of a sudden it's saying, you know, God's going to weigh the good and the bad. And you know what? If you do anything, even minor, that's good, then, hey, he's going to say that you're good. And so, yeah, as Joshua was saying, it's a workspace righteousness that is not a standard that people who hold the workspace righteousness
2: would even say this is the standard that should be applied.
0: And the ones it's who, more of a universalist type of workspace righteousness. And the
2: narrow way ends up being the disadvantaged or the parents who were either really mean or really dropped the ball. Right. I mean, that's—, that's Or
0: <laughs> on drugs and couldn't buy gifts or— right. yeah, And so what you—and
2: then you end up being judged
0: because, as naughty because of what your parents did, which is another false gospel, right, is that, that the son receives the judgment of the parent. And that's what happens, right? Because if your parent is rich, if your parent is successful, then you get nice gifts. If your parent's a drug addict, you get nothing. And so it's your sins are visited on you, and not or their sins are visited on you, and you're not judged for your own sins. And so it's just this false theology that is destructive across the board.
2: I mean, another thing that it does is, you mentioned children's Bibles, and one of the issues with children's Bibles is, I mean, I remember seeing there was... You know, there was a, I remember seeing one where there's a picture of Jesus on one page and there's a bunny rabbit and there's little kids and there's a little bird on his shoulder. The next page, they didn't have the picture of him on the cross in this particular one because you can't go from the little bunny on the shoulder and the children gathered around to him on the cross to him. You can't go to him coming in glory and power. And Revelation, as it says in Revelation 19:12 through 16, his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, king of kings, and lord of lords. When you talk
0: to a kid about that, which one does he want? Does he want that one, the real god? Or does he want Santa Claus, who will bring him gifts if he's not too mean to his parents? And so what you've done is you've put out there two gods. And the one is a god that's pretty frightening. And the other is a god who gives you gifts. It's, it's mocking who Jesus Christ is. It's mocking what he's doing. It's mocking his position in the world. It's it's mocking our responsibility to serve him and to worship him. And we turn it into this little fun game that you have a God that just gives you gifts instead of coming with a sword that will cause people's blood to be
2: shed. In that passage, the blood on his robe is not his blood. No. No. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, it, and it's it's that thing with, yeah, It's you're back to the mountain with fire and smoke, and they couldn't stand it, and they were terrified. They couldn't even bear to look on Moses' face when he came down from just being in the presence of God. His face and the shining of it was so terrifying. Give me Santa Claus.
3: I'll I, take the other one with the red and white clothes. Right. And think about yes. it, right?
0: I mean, I would even argue that the main reason that Christmas is such a big holiday is people would rather deal with Christ the baby than Christ, the one that comes with the sword in his mouth and slays. Right. They'd rather deal with Christ as the baby that they could control, but that's not good enough. You need to make him even less than that. So instead you make the center of Christmas, not Christ, but you make him Santa Claus because even that baby's too frightening for them.
3: Another thing that goes on with, you know, why is, isn't is this just harmless? We we talked earlier about household idols and and really if you've, if you've stayed listening this long and if you're buying into, hey, this is a substitute God, this is an idol, well why isn't it just you know, why isn't it just a harmless idol? Why isn't it just something why can't we just have this little idol alongside the real God? And really you recognize that God just he doesn't tolerate that. He doesn't tolerate the other little gods. First John five twenty one, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen.
0: I mean, it's, you look at First John, right, and first John's a book about, well, guess what? If you walk in the darkness, you don't know God. If you don't love your brother, you don't know God. If you don't do this, if you don't do that, you don't know who God is. And he goes on all these tests. I think there's like 23 or 26, depending on the test, of how you can know you're saved. And he doesn't mention idolatry at all until the last verse. And then he just says, and little children, keep yourself from idols, because even speaking to people it went through all these checks that all these things to say do i see the fruit of the holy spirit in my life he still ends up warning them but watch out for idols and we set up an idol for our children it's kind of the opposite of what john was writing
3: when you read your old testament and you look at all the times that the children of israel children of judah started worshiping idols it's you can't really find a case where they stopped the worship of Yahweh it was they worshiped Yahweh and added in all of these little idols alongside that and for that God destroyed them
2: i mean one of the reasons why people don't want to get rid of Santa Claus is the same reason why once you decide you have to get rid of Santa Claus there's other things you have to get rid of too you know what i mean because once you recognize idolatry you start to recognize other idols you start to recognize other lies and I'm not saying that as soon as you become, you get rid of Santa Claus, you're going to become Amish. I mean, I'm not Amish. I'm not. <laughs> but I am saying there are things, there are, you look at our entertainments, you look at, there's lots of little idols we can set up for our children. And it's really, really, really easy. And there's a part of it where we don't want to get rid of Santa Claus because if we get rid of that and we recognize and say, wait a minute, that's wrong. You start tugging at that thread, you find out there's other idols that you're setting up too. We're surrounded by them. And Santa Claus he's not the only idol but hey i mean he is like you said he's an american nationally accepted church accepted he is he is as american as any idol that we have it's really hard to get rid of him and you got and giving him the boot really really helps it really starts you on the path of going oh wow i didn't see all the other idols because there was one big one in the way
0: and i mean i've Preach the churches where there was a picture of Santa Claus over me. I mean, these are these churches where they would be going, we're not going to support any idolatry. We're very against idolatry. We're against the Muslims. We're against this false religion. We're against the Roman Catholics and their worship of saints. We're... And then they say, but we're going to have a Christmas party and Santa Claus is going to come and give out gifts. Well, you got to look at not just the idols that the people you don't like use. You have to look at the ones that you use. And Santa Claus is an idol that's widely accepted in places that call themselves churches.
3: And he's a particularly tame idol. It's not that scary. And that's why he's particularly dangerous.
0: Exactly. Because it's saying this is what a God is like that's judging. And that's not what the God is like that judges. Right. And the other thing that happens and I think we see that as at Christmas time one of the reasons that people would go oh it's not that harmless because at Christmas time Santa Claus is just a sign of giving to each other and a sign of happiness and joy and all these other things well Psalm 115:3 through 8 says but our God is in heaven he does whatever he pleases their idols are silver and gold the work of men's hands they have mouths but they do not speak eyes they have but they do not see they have ears but they do not hear noses have they but they do not smell They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. And so people are looking at the practice of idolatry, and they're calling that the Christmas season. But it's the practice of idolatry towards towards Santa Claus, is a lot of what we call the Christmas season. It has nothing to do with being a Christian. It has to do with this idea that this special time of year, right, the special time of year is when you're supposed to go be nice to people. Being a Christian says you're nice to people all the time, right? right? Part of the fruit of the spirit, Spirit is kindness. And so, but in idolatry, you know, and there's worse idols, right, in a sense. I mean, I'm not saying, I think because of it's, because of its attractiveness, it has real ability to affect the church in terms of its idolatry. But in terms of its, you know, one of the reasons people like Santa Claus as an idol is because they, you know, there's the old, the old uh, newspaper uh, column that was, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And his argument was, well, there's all these people that are practicing the worship of Santa Claus. They're being like Santa Claus, so therefore there is a Santa Claus because he has so many worshipers. Well, that's not how we're supposed to be. That's not how we're supposed to respond to the world is to be like our
1: idol. And I think, you know, if, if there's still doubt about whether uh... – how close the the santa cult is to a actual uh you know acknowledging <laughs> <laughs> acknowledged god cult. i mean you look at a lot of the practices and they match up you know having your kids write out letters to santa claus they're writing out prayers they're right. writing out prayers to a god you know putting little images of santa in your house pictures movies that's the same thing as the people going to ephesus and and getting the little uh, image of diana and and that's what they were doing. They were getting the little image of the god to put in their house. I mean, so so much of it matches up to an unfortunate degree.
2: And one of the other things that Santa's referred to at times is the spirit of Christmas, and I mean, and it's a really interesting phrase because the Bible talks about the. I mean, the Holy Spirit actually has a lot of different names in Scripture. I mean, sometimes referred to, you know, this, but the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Holiness, truth, yeah. the Spirit of Truth. I mean. The spirit of Christmas is what—so well. Santa Claus even becomes this—he's he's sort of—he's there's, there's a he's replacing parts of the Trinity even in the sense of he's the spirit of this time and this season. He's the embodiment of, like you're saying, brotherly kindness and goodness to one another. Well, it's,
0: really, it's not biblical brotherly kindness, right. right? Because biblical brotherly kindness is like Leviticus 1917 where rebuke your neighbor— less you take his sin upon yourself, that's how you love your neighbor as yourself for one aspect of it. That's not what we mean by brotherly kindness. It means that you're just nice to people, that you're just, you know, it's, it's a different standard than the biblical standard where you actually love the person. That's not what you're
2: supposed to do with Santa Claus. You're just nice to them. Right. We like it because this time of year, people tip the scales too far. The, you know, they're, they're kinder than they even reasonably would be at other times. And so, and it's it's a kindness without, it's just, you're sort of, you put it on the altar of Christmas. I'll just overlook this because it's Christmas. It's Christmas. And that, I mean, and it becomes, the overlooking that thing becomes a form of worship. It becomes a form of sacrifice. I'm going to make this part of my offering to this time of year. As opposed to, like you said, we're supposed to do, we're supposed to do good throughout the year. And it's not this, it's not something that we do as a special offering to this special time of year and to this special God that we worship there.
1: You know, if you want a symbol for, uh, for happiness and joy, put a smiley face on your wall. You don't need to put Santa Claus on your wall. <laughs> you know, if you, if you it's like, well, that's, you know, people, you know, people are going to think I'm that's weird. That's Walmart. And...
2: <laughs> You're worshiping Walmart. <laughs> well,
1: you know. Well, you know, hey, cheap prices. Styles. That's the
0: way to put a <laughs> smile on your face. That's also an American Idol.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. And if you're worried about being countercultural, well, there's a lot of Bible verses that say you should be countercultural. So good job.
0: I mean, one thing that, that Calvin says is that the heart is an idol factory. And what he means by that is we always, the natural man, the saved man, the old man that is, that the saved man is wrestling with, the old man that is still in him, the corruption that's still in him we really want to make idols. We want to change how God is. We want to make him something that's manageable, making something that we like or that, he, that, that is likable versus who the true God is. This is what man is like. And so we can never treat idolatry as something that's minor and especially, there's no greater idolater than like a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old. There's just none. They're, they're just really good at idolizing. They get a new toy, and that's their idol. And so instead of leading them away from idolatry, Santa Claus is about teaching them how to be idolaters. So even if you're going, well, I would never treat Santa Claus as an idol, don't lie to yourself about how your children will treat him. Because even though you may not consider him an idol and you know all the truth and you see all these things around it and just say, hey, this is a fun thing, it is still playing with very damaging fire
3: with your children. I mean, wouldn't you want Santa Claus to be real? Just ask yourself if you could live in those two worlds. But you know, seriously, would you, would you like to live in the world where Santa Claus was real? because in a sense he's an avatar of all of your base desires of you get free stuff you get cheap grace you know the cost is not that much and 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 hey eat drink and be merry and right. and you know throw in a little bit of gluttony while you're at it and i mean if if you were designing the world would you make it that way would you make it a world in which somebody controlled it like Santa Claus
2: if, if, if God was elected democratically that's it, you know what I mean? exactly. and that, that's right. effectively what's been going on is it's, it's the democratic election of a God
0: but and I mean as you were saying that it's kind of like that instant election right because that's what people would vote for until they saw what that actually produced and then they'd go this is horrible right because all of a sudden you have no constraint on sin you know what the world's like if you have no constraint on sin except if some guy says, hey, I'm not too upset with you, so I'll give you stuff now? It would be horrible. So I understand as you were saying it and going through that, you're going, wouldn't you want a God like that? And my thought was no, absolutely not. That would be absolutely the worst thing I can possibly imagine. But that's
3: true of any idol.
0: That is any, true of any idol. Any
3: idol, if that idol was actually in charge, then it would be worse possible. Because right. it's not God, because it's not just, because it's not an equitable entity. Right. And
0: that's, it's, but if you think shallowly, like is what you were yeah, advocating. Exactly. It's just like a, a shallow thought. Like five-year-old. a five-year-old. You're going, of course I'd want a God like that. And as a six-year-old, I'm going, ooh, not a chance. That would be horrible. That would just be terrible.
3: But I'm also saying, think really honestly as an adult. Are your desires that much different? Are you that much more mature than your five-year-old? Because it does give you an opportunity to reflect. And I'm not sure all of us are that much it's more mature. It's why John
2: warns us against idols, right? It's why right. John warns you, because it, it may not be exactly the same one. We make him a little more sophisticated, but it's still, like you said, satisfying our base desires.
0: And the way it satisfies our base desires is for us to narrow our view down so that we just see our relationship with that God, not that would actually define how the whole world works, right? Because if it's just with us and Santa Claus, everybody would want Santa Claus to be their God until they go, wait a second, that means he's the God of the guy next door. And that's where it breaks down is when you think about it and you start to think about, no, it kind of ripples out through the world. That's where it gets to be a much bigger problem. But, yeah, I think a lot of people, when they're just thinking about themselves and just thinking localized, they go, yeah, I'd like that. I'd like the God that judges me to be like that. But, boy, I don't want the God that judges my neighbor to be like that.
3: So let's make some more then. Let's make the Tooth Fairy and let's make the Sandman. And, you know, because that's the only way that you make the system work is if you keep adding to it. Right. And it doesn't work.
0: Right. And you keep blowing it up and making it bigger. And, yeah, and you make the— You'd do it in various ways. And
2: all pantheons are unstable.
0: <laughs> right. They always have to increase. <laughs> right. And yeah. You know, you know, one of the things that I remember hearing when you know, from one of my employees is that he loved Christmas time because he could get his children to obey. Because the rest of the year he couldn't get them to obey. So then they came out with the elf on the shelf that was supposed to be Santa Claus's spy. And, he'd go, and you're supposed to go in the middle of the night and move the elf every day so that the child knows that he reported back to Santa Claus. And he's like, all of a sudden my children are obeying me. And they don't any time of the year except for December when the elf is on the shelf. We just need to recognize that one of the attractions of Santa Claus for parents is so they can sin and not raise their children right? The reason that you say to your children, be nice because Santa Claus is going to come to town and you want him to give you presents. And it's a way to, and this is true for any idol, it's a way to ignore our own responsibility, ignore our own culpability. And it's a way to just transfer it to this third party so we don't have to do what we're supposed to do. So the parents that are out there saying, well, I like Santa Claus, make sure you actually ask why, because I bet there's an element of it that, that way I don't actually have to do the work of training my children that God commanded me to do.
3: And it's easier in the short term maybe for—because maybe for that month. But really, why not go with Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father from whence he will come to judge the quick and the dead?
0: Right. And that's a, a message that's good year-round.
2: <laughs> Santa Claus is a, is, a, is a cheap form of the second coming it's a it's it's, it's another one wa- i mean it's you know what i mean it's it's
0: it's a second coming where he comes and he gives you gifts right and then guess what he'll come again and he'll give you gifts right. and then guess what he'll come again and he'll give you gifts and it's this picture of a coming and judgment that's not a judgment you need to be afraid of right and the reality is that salvation starts with the fear of the lord the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. Nobody's saved without the fear of the Lord. You can't, you can't come to know God. You can't come to have knowledge and wisdom without the fear of the Lord. And so, if what you're doing is is creating a situation where there's no fear of God, you're you're leading your children away from it. And so, when you bring in this judgment, that's do you how do you get some gifts or do you get a lot of gifts? You're driving them away from fearing God, right. which is the path to salvation. As opposed to He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and He's going to come and judge the living and the dead. That is a message that is driving them towards understanding who God is and towards their salvation.
2: Even if you said you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't believe that Santa Claus is a is a substitute God. I'll tell you what. All of the modern cultural media and movies and things, they treat him as if he is some form of God. It is the logical conclusion of it. I I grew up in a household. They didn't teach me about Santa Claus. They told me Santa Claus wasn't real. But I I loved television. I loved movies. I loved anything I could find. I remember watching somewhere around the time I was 16 or so. It was The Life and Times of Santa Claus. And it was a story about how... The gods of the earth looked at this person and decided to grant him immortality, so he could continue doing his, you know, doing the work that he had done. You know, he had been a selfless individual who was doing this, and they granted, and so they granted him the cloak of immortality and turned him into, and in, invited him into sort of the pantheon of immortals. There's the Santa Claus movies where. Santa Claus, where a guy becomes Santa Claus by, I think, you know, almost knocking Santa Claus off the roof accidentally or something like that, and then, but then he regularly meets with Mother Nature and Father Time and the Sandman and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy and Jack Frost, and they have a council of immortal beings and supernatural beings. All of these things, the logical conclusion, they all understand he has to be this type of thing. There is no, I mean, and this is what is taught. So if you tell them about Santa Claus how do you tell them okay Santa Claus is okay but don't consume any of don't consume any of the associated media <laughs> and the stuff that where people sit down and say how do we make sense of this don't buy into any of that that's all nonsense because that's where they go because it's logical
0: and it's i mean we look at these things and these are false religions and they're false religions that the church fought a long time ago you know constantine wanted to believe that when he, as the, the Roman emperor, that after he died, he became a god, right? Because that's what Julius Caesar did. He became a god. That's what Nero did. He became all these people were supposed to become gods after they died. And so Con- Constantine wanted the same thing. So there was a big debate in the church whether, whether Jesus Christ was a man that became God or was he God who took on flesh. And became a man. Because the difference between that is huge in terms of the nature of man and the nature of God. Well, Santa Claus is a man who becomes God is the kind of the theme of most of the movies now is that he's the same as the the pantheon of Rome, where you have a lot of people that all of a sudden become godlike figures.
2: This was Arius, right? Yeah. I mean, this is ironically this a, the person who, who <laughs> the supposed Saint Nick supposedly slapped.
0: God is good, isn't it? <laughs> right. But when you think about these things, these these heresies that were fought against because they caused so much damage, we now turn around and accept them and don't think that there's any big deal. We're just trying to create a mythology around Santa Claus so that our lies are more so that our children, as they grow up, they'll see how the lies really construct and together and make sense. Instead of going, you know, these caused real problems in the church. People died over these doctrines. People actually died over them. And we're just going, eh, it doesn't matter. We'll just bring it in a different way. That's what Satan does. And we're not supposed to partake of that. We're not supposed to participate in that. We're supposed to say this is satanic.
2: I mean, saints died over it. Saved people died over it. Many people went to hell over it. Yes. You know what I mean? And I think that's, you know I mean, it's, it's a lot of people were led to hell because the broadway is the broadway. And so I mean there's this part of it where in the back of your mind you're going how much damage could this do? It's because you're not believing the word of God here. I mean you're you're actually fighting against the word of God going my children aren't in any danger. Why do you think that?
1: Even if you're not telling them that it's that Santa is real. to t- be immersing them and yourself in the Santa culture and Santa media is is saying idolatry is fun you know as long as you don't believe it it's still fun you know if you're you're going to show them movies that says murders fun that drugs are fun uh, probably not hopefully not and so why are you going to be showing the movie saying that Santa is fun
2: and that's what I meant about when you get rid of Santa you start to tug at other threads you start to ask yourselves you know there are a lot of people who you know I grew up reading comic books, and let's be honest, comic books aren't very much different than forms of gods that they've created, and they're the the American you, know, you mean the Ameri- like the
0: sur- superhero comic books? Right. They're all
2: yeah, they're all pictures of the American pantheon of gods that we you know, and now they've been you know, so they're so I mean, there's this there's this part of it where you start asking yourself, what am I leading my children toward? But Santa's frequently the the big one that needs to be moved out of the way before you can deal with the others.
0: Or it's the, you know, it's the, 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 what's the, the gateway drug, right? That's the terminology that's used for, for, you know, marijuana. And there's reality to that. The red that there pill is, with the white trim. <laughs> yeah, There is this, this idea though, that you start to accept certain little idols and then your idols get to be darker and darker and darker because that's what idolatry does. It gets darker and darker. And that's, you know. There's a reason why all those comic books are aimed towards the young, but it doesn't mean that when they're older they aren't idolaters, they are. I mean, that's what it's training them in. And part of the reason of doing this podcast is, hey, Santa Claus is the first idol for most people in America. And we should be trying to knock out the gateway drug.
2: I mean, one of the things that really comes up I see in a lot of these <laughs> discussions is is respecting other parents' decisions of what to tell their children and teaching your children not to tell other children You know, honestly, the more I've thought about it, aside from if your children have some sense of self-righteousness. Which they all do. (laughs) Right. I mean, but in in this particular area, aside from dealing with that, destroying idolatry is not a bad thing. I mean, when you look at, I mean, you know, I'm thinking of Gideon. And Gideon goes up and he destroys his father's idols. And his father, and everybody really gets mad, and his father goes...
0: Hey, they were idols. <laughs> yeah. Basically. And there's
2: this part of it where, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. Like I said, and I'm, I'm not saying you should teach your ch- hey, children, I want you to go and actively tell her. I mean, I don't know that you need to make your children super active agents. But honestly, even if your children aren't saved, the worst thing in the world isn't them going and telling somebody that Santa Claus isn't real. That's not a bad thing. It, it's, it's not a horrible thing. And there's this part of it where we have this idea you have to respect other people's idolatries. I don't think you're going to find that in Scripture. You're going to have a really, really, really hard time.
0: You know what I mean? There's, there's a whole thing about burning down the city if people are leading other people to idolatry. Right. That that's kind of anti-idolatry.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a really hard position to defend. It's you know we respect other people's idolatries in this household. You know what I mean? It's, it's, and and even so, to just
0: the idea of rejecting truth, right? I mean we're not supposed to reject truth and to teach your children that they can't say something to somebody else that is true that's a pretty dangerous position to get
2: to it's teaching them not to spread the gospel when they learn you know i mean it's it's i mean in the threads it was really interesting reading through the threads a lot of people said the way i found out is my parents told my older sister and she immediately came to me and told me they said you know they said that's how i found out they said they told her and they said don't tell your brother and she immediately came to me and said i've got to tell you this this is, you know, my See, brother, I think
0: my brother was in went to first grade. My older brother and he came home and immediately told all of
3: us, <laughs> right? And I mean, <laughs> that's if, how I found out it was from my oldest. Your brother. Your
2: brother learned the <laughs> truth and he came to tell you the truth. And that's like you were saying, you teach your children to lie. It's really bad. We have to respect the lies that other people tell people. No, you don't have to respect other people's lies. That's not true.
0: But I mean, the other thing is, you know, as parents that have children, that I mean, and the reason that children tell it is pride. Right, I know something that other people don't know, right. so maybe you should actually take the responsibility to yourself rather than having your children go and tell their friends and talk to your children's friends' parents and say, "You know, hey, this is idolatry. this isn't some minor thing that doesn't matter. God talks about how destructive idolatry is. If you read the Bible, there's huge sections about how destructive idolatry is. Don't play with this thing that's so deadly and so destructive and think it doesn't matter. It matters. Right. And maybe if the parents understood it, and especially in churches, if churches aren't saying this, and hey, let's be, you know, this might surprise people, but people have gotten mad at me in churches for having these conversations with other parents, but you should have the conversation with other parents. And then when your child goes and says it, they're not going to go after your child because, you already told them what your child was going to do. And so then they just need to live with the consequences of their sin. And so we shouldn't, like you said, we shouldn't send out their children or our children as right. agents. But the reality is we have a duty, especially to our brothers and sisters in the church. We have a duty to say, do you realize how evil this is?
3: And if you stuck with us this long in the podcast, hopefully you get why we did a long podcast on santa claus because we really do think it's destructive we really do think that it damages you your children damages our culture and it takes glory away from god
0: so as we wrap up we thank you for joining us but we do want to repeat idolatry is serious it is an important thing because it is rebellion against the living god he is a jealous god and he is jealous of every idol including santa claus And don't teach your children to reject the living God. Thanks for joining us.
2: This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online
3: at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.